I have a serious question for you. Why is the world of wellness so serious? It's all about discipline, willpower, all work and no play. And to be honest, the focus seems to be much more on how we look than how we feel. These impossible standards can feel like a full-time job, but it doesn't have to. Welcome to Part-Time Wellness, the podcast where we redefine wellness and create health habits that enhance our life, not overtake it. I'm Chelsea Eithoven, a wellness coach for women with ADHD, late diagnosed ADHD or myself, and your biggest cheerleader. I believe that you can have it all. You can experience a life of fulfillment, joy, and play, along with thriving health and wellness. You can have your cake and eat it too. Why else would you make a cake? ADHDers deserve to experience the feeling of thriving, not just surviving. So together, we'll explore the world of wellness and life in general with ADHD. Don't forget to subscribe and let's dive in. We've got a lot to chat about. Nicole, welcome. I am so excited to have you here and I just know you're going to have so much awesome information to share with us. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing really good. So I just want to dive right in. Normally I do some like kind of warm up questions, but I feel like with you and I kind of working in the same field and talking about the same things, but on different levels, we're going to have so much to chat about. So I just want to dive right into it. So can you tell everybody like a little bit about who you are, what you do? So I'm a registered dietitian and I help people with ADHD to basically have a better relationship with food um, so that they can stop dieting, stop binging, and just basically be happier and less stressed out overall around food and body image. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, a registered dietitian is, it can be very confusing. Like what's the difference between a health coach and a registered dietitian and a nutritionist and a registered dietitian has gone through extensive training, gone through, I think, what is it? 1,200 hours in a hospital. Can you tell us about that a little bit and the differences? Yeah. So it is a lot. It's like, you have to get a bachelor's degree in nutrition And then once you get your bachelor's, you have to apply to get into an internship. And then the internship you do, it's like a minimum of a thousand or 1200 hours or something like that. And you have to do different rotations in hospitals, in long-term care facilities, in schools, like private practice. Basically you do a little bit of everything during that time so that you can learn all there is to know about nutrition. And then you have to sit for a board exam and pass it. So basically like a very intense time, especially for somebody with ADHD to like have to sit there and do all those things. But it's like, it really needs to be a hyper focus in order for you to go through it. Absolutely. And yeah, I don't think I've even mentioned this on the podcast, but I thought that I wanted to be a registered dietitian and I started the prereqs and almost immediately I knew that this is not a hyper-focus of mine, but I'm more into the mindset, the woo-woo, like that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know what? I don't need those letters behind my name, but I can collaborate and work with people who are RDs and kind of bring a different side of value. So that's why I kind of wanted to chat with you um, about your specialty and your focus and whatnot, because it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. So did you know you had ADHD when you went through school? No, I just actually got diagnosed like two years ago. I finished school in 2013. I got my RD 
um, and then I finished grad school in 2014. So the program I did, it was a two-year program. Looking back now, like I really wish I knew I had it back then because it was really intense. But no, I, I didn't know. I just felt like I was stressed out all the time and like constantly trying to meet deadlines and doing all these projects. And it was just a lot. Like I hardly slept for two years straight, as you can imagine. But I mean, sometimes that's what we need is that like intense period of time to actually get things done, like we thrive under those situations, you know, sometimes. But yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> I don't regret it. It's definitely worth it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can imagine that that was a lot. College was so hard for me, I think, because there is a lot of that pressure, but it's like you have to be able to manage yourself. And when I was going into college at 17, I was definitely not able to manage myself, you know, and going from structured to unstructured was like very hard for me, which is something interesting too, that we can get into when we talk about intuitive eating. Cause I do think that's something that ADHDers have a hard time with. Right. And just the fact that it feels less structured. And so it's kind of more difficult for us. So let's right. talk about what intuitive eating is first and why you think it's good for ADHDers. Yeah. So intuitive eating is basically, it's a mind body health approach to eating not a diet. It's not a food plan. It's nothing like that. It's actually just listening to your body and basically turning inward to figure out when you're hungry, when you're full. It's really just about meeting your physiological needs versus looking outward for that, if that makes sense. And, and I think one of the biggest things with intuitive eating is really just learning about yourself and why you eat is the biggest thing because we tend to eat for reasons like losing weight or because we want to pursue health or because, you know, emotional eaters or because we're bored and we stim and all these other things with ADHD. But intuitive eating really allows you to bring that awareness to why you're eating and figure out like, okay, what am I actually eating for right now? What do I actually need? And that really kind of gets to the root of it versus just kind of creating this structured meal plan that you need to follow. That doesn't work for us. Yes, we need structure. Like we hate structure, but we need it at the same time with ADHD, right? But at the same time, the more structured you are with eating, the less you're listening to your body and the more you're ignoring your hunger cues, you're probably going to end up overeating and that can lead to a binge. So we can talk more about that, about how restriction and all these other things lead to binging, but it's definitely been life-changing for me and also for a lot of my clients to, to eat intuitively. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I've also gone through a journey of, gosh, when you were saying we eat following some type of plan or a diet, or we look outside of ourselves to know what, when, how much to eat. That was pretty much my entire life until I was like, 25, I would say maybe 26, maybe even longer. I'm trying to remember when my last actual diet was. It was before my wedding, of course, <laughs> but yeah, it's such a really hard transition, right? To go from dieting and like listening to and trusting what everybody else says about what we should eat into trusting our body. And I think especially for ADHDers, because that self-trust piece can be so difficult for us because 
we just feel like if we follow our intuition or follow our gut, it's like, no, it's going to lead me astray, you know, especially those of us who have felt like our ADHD has been a barrier to us in the past. So I'm curious, have you come from a dieting background or what's your relationship with food like? Like, how has that changed for you? Have you always been into intuitive eating or did you also have a dieting background kind of like me? So basically it goes way back. Like I have a long history of like issues with body image and using food to cope. I can remember back as far as like maybe the age of 11, restricting my food intake and being obsessed with like food labels and calories and just counting everything and being like really anxious around food and making sure that I didn't eat too much. And I would just like look at other people who were the body size that I wanted to be and see what they were doing. And I just kind of did that for years and years, like throughout my teens. And then it's funny because when I became a dietitian, like I didn't even know that that was an option. Like when I grew up, I didn't know dietitians were a thing. I just was following like diet culture and all these other rules. And while I never really followed like specific diet plans, like I never did like, you know, the Atkins and like the Whole30 and all those things, but it was mostly like calorie restriction and just like running things off. So basically if I felt like I ate too much, I would like go and run around the block a few times to burn it off. Like totally disordered eating habits. Like my whole life, I was constantly stressed out, like constantly body checking, looking at myself in the mirror, had body dysmorphia. So I was like constantly looking at my stomach all the time. Like I didn't care what the rest of my body looked like. It was like, I wanted a flat stomach. That was like all that mattered to me. And I realized like, later on and even now that a lot of the times back then my stomach was just bloated like I wasn't fat it was bloating like yes and I probably did have some GI issues it was probably bloating from not eating enough not nourishing my body I was skipping meals and like it just was not good I was very obsessed over it and now looking back now that I know that I have ADHD it was definitely hyper focused I'm like viciously nodding along because I'm like, this is my experience to a T and it was my hyper-focus. It was all I thought about, you know, and it was like for you, the flat stomach, I always was obsessed with what I called my love handles. And like, that's what I was constantly body checking. And like, did they go down? Are they more prominent? Does this outfit show them? You know, it's like, it really can just be that thing that we zone in on and obsess over. Uh, Very unhealthy like obsessively exercising and that type of stuff. And like when I became a dietitian, I learned that I could eat consistently and eat balanced meals in a way that felt good. So like I had less disordered eating, but then it became more of like an orthorexia, which is like the obsession with being healthy, right? So that's sort of like the new disordered eating that we're seeing is the obsession with clean eating and, mm-hmm. and um, doing things in the pursuit of health when actually it's still restriction. You're actually still undernourished. You're not listening to your body. And we just have all of these food rules that surround everything that we do. And we have a lot of rules in general because we feel like we want to look a certain way. We want to be a certain way. And so like a lot of the health anxiety that I had growing up, just sort of like transformed into this like obsession with food and diet and everything. And so in hindsight, I'm looking back and I'm like, 
if I had paid more attention to what disordered eating was when I first became a dietitian, I probably would have picked up on the cues that what I was doing wasn't healthy. But the problem is that society normalizes this clean eating and orthorexia and all these other things. So I didn't know that I had an issue. And that's like one of the biggest problems, I think. Oh, yes. It's actually kind of terrifying. And it's something that if I talk about it and think about it too much, I get really heated. <laughs> the clean eating. Just people, I remember when I, I used to be a teacher before I got into coaching and I was always really into healthy eating. And I even started my training as a health coach. And somebody walked in my classroom and was like, I was eating fast food, or maybe I talked about fast food, Wendy's or whatever. And somebody was like, oh, you're a health coach. You can't eat that. That's not healthy. That's not good. You just you need to abstain and restrict and like, you know, and I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know about that. You know, it's a thought that I have a lot is like our pursuit of wellness is making a lot of us really, really unwell, right? We are so obsessed with it to the point that, like you said, orthorexia. And I think it's not quite yet in the DSM. I don't think, right? Orthorexia. But that's because you're right. It's so normalized. That is what we're being taught right now is quote unquote healthy. And I'm like, looking back on my relationship with food, when I was so obsessed with being just perfect, that was most unhealthy I had ever been. And yeah, my stomach was also always bloated because I think, yeah, being underfed, constantly eating probably way too much fiber and just like raw vegetables and things that don't agree with my system and also stress. You know, I think my stress was really impacting my digestive system. So gosh, we have a lot in common in our story. And I wonder, do you find that this is really common for ADHDers? Do you see this in a lot of your clients too? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like because the fact that most of the clients that I work with actually have been recently diagnosed they're all like women who are in their 30s or 40s or even 50s who have just been diagnosed and they've struggled with eating for so long in their lives that they don't even realize that diet culture has such a huge influence on them. And honestly, it's so hard to sum up in just like a few sentences because it's so involved. Like there's so many reasons why we struggle with eating with ADHD. I mean, we have issues with like impulsivity, we have issues with obviously low dopamine, right? So the boredom, stimming with food, the hyper-focus, we have like poor time management, time blindness, there's interoceptive awareness, which is like the inability to actually feel your hunger and fullness cues, right? We get overwhelmed, we're emotional dysregulation and sensory issues and just, we have all of these things that affect our eating. So it's almost like they're constantly trying to fix themselves in some way. And obviously, if we have issues with RSD, right? So rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria, and perfectionism, we want our bodies to look a certain way, we want to fit in. So it kind of just goes hand in hand with the whole dieting thing. I don't want to say every person I've worked with has issues with dieting, because that's not true. But a lot of them are still influenced by diet culture in some way. And I think part of it is just the fact that dieting is kind of enticing for us because it's like a quick fix. 
it's going to change you in some way, right? We get all excited, like shiny object syndrome. Like, oh my gosh, I can like lose weight or I can change my body and look this way if I just do this. And like the way that diet culture sells these things to you, it makes it seem like this magic pill that's just going to happen overnight. And that's that impulsivity that we get for wanting to have that quick change, but it just doesn't work. It's not realistic. But that's completely relevant and makes total sense. And I can remember it like it was yesterday, genuinely seeing these diets or this new thing or this new way of eating or this new thing to cut out usually. Yeah, that shiny object syndrome and being like, this is the thing that's going to change everything. Like that's going to make me so energetic all the time and so happy all the time and feel so good and confident. And like we really, truly, we expect so much of our diets and so much of our food. We expect it to like be this magical pill, you know, and that's even like some of the language that people use around food too. Like food is medicine, you know, food is fuel, all of that too, like puts just a lot of pressure on food to do things that it can't do. Before I knew I had ADHD, I was also diagnosed last year in my thirties. When I'm eating this way, I'm going to feel clear. Like I didn't know I had ADHD, but I was almost expecting food to like cure my ADHD that I didn't even know I had. Right. And it's also the novelty factor too, right? Like something new and exciting. It's like, okay, well that didn't work, but here's this new exciting thing that I'm going to try now. Right. Exactly. I think that's exactly what it is. It's just, we've been like put down or we've felt so bad about ourselves for so long because we didn't know what was wrong with us. We're like, if I just do this, I'll feel better. If I just do this one thing, that's going to make me look good and feel good. Like this is going to be the, like you said before, like the magic pill to do that for me. Like little did we know that there's all these other underlying issues that we have that we need to get to the bottom of. And honestly, most of it is just ignoring the need for self-care. Like we don't know how to take care of ourselves because we don't know what's wrong. We didn't understand our brains and we're constantly putting ourselves down and just all of these things that like women do anyway are like magnified when you have ADHD. Mm, Yeah. And I love that point about self-care too. And thinking about it since I got diagnosed, I was diagnosed in February of this year. So it's almost been a year and prior to my diagnosis and understanding kind of what was going on, I genuinely did not know my needs at all. Like I didn't know you had mentioned introceptive awareness, understanding why I wanted to eat, right? Like why was I standing in the back of my classroom shoveling candy in my mouth at 2 PM every single day? It's because my brain needed dopamine, right? Now I can understand that about myself. And why would I get super overwhelmed and snap in certain moments? Now I understand it was some sensory overwhelm. And it's like, once we start getting in this ADHD realm of other ADHDers and understanding how our brain works, we can give ourselves that self-care. And for me personally, what I've noticed that is like, well, first of all, switching to intuitive eating and actually being fueled makes me want to just eat for dopamine less, but also taking care of myself. There's a lot less, just like my brain craving some kind of comfort or something. Cause I know how to comfort myself in other ways. Have you had a similar experience to that since your diagnosis? Yeah. Before I was diagnosed, it was right when COVID hit. So I knew that I had it before, but like shocker, I waited like two years to actually get <laughs> an assessment because 
you know? typical. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, I had just gotten married. I was like super stressed. COVID hit. I was stuck in the house and I could not sit still. I was like, I am absolutely going insane just sitting here. And I was like up in the kitchen every five minutes looking for something to eat or looking for something to do with my hands or whatever. I just could not sit still. I was constantly looking for food all the time. And like, I didn't realize what that was, but I know now that it was stimming, right? I was stimming with food. And it's just like an easy thing to do is just to use food. But the problem, like when you're not taking care of yourself is that food becomes so much more enticing, right? Because it's an easy, convenient way to feel good. Even for somebody without ADHD, I mean, a lot of people use food to cope. So if you're coping with emotions, it could be boredom, it could be stress, it can be whatever, especially during COVID, we were all stressed, right? A lot of people did use food to cope, but like, now that I know what it is, and I'm like, oh, I actually am not hungry right now. My stomach is full. I don't have any of the signs of hunger. Like I don't have a headache. I'm not feeling low in energy. I actually am feeling like I have too much energy and I just need something else to do. So what else can I do? Right. So whereas before I was just like, what's wrong with me? Like, and going back to that orthorexia thing, I was just like, there's something wrong with my health. Like, why do I keep craving this food and maybe it's my blood sugar. And I just was trying to find all these answers all the time. And really Mm. it was just like my mental health that needed changing. (laughs) But yeah, the stimming thing is is huge for us. And it's not like you can't use food to stim because you can, you just need to be mindful about it. And what I mean is like, really notice if you're hungry or not, or if you're just kind of like mindlessly eating If that's the case, you can probably, you know, maybe chew gum or you can use a sensory tool, like play with something with your hands or get up and exercise, right? So we can start to schedule these things into our day in order to, you know, get the most out of our dopamine. So obviously, one of the things that I wanted to mention too that I noticed was before I was diagnosed, I was still really undernourished. And I was thinking about food all the time, partly because I wasn't eating enough, Mm -hmm. right? So I wasn't, I was like afraid to eat too many carbs because of diabetes, right? Because I'm a diabetes educator. So I was around diabetes all the time, but like, you don't get diabetes from eating too many carbs. I was just being paranoid. So like, I wouldn't eat enough carbohydrates. I wasn't eating enough in general. I was like, I had all these food rules. I was vegan plant-based, whole food, vegan. And like, there's nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't with the good intentions. It was to restrict, Mm -hmm. right? It wasn't because it makes me feel good or anything like that. I was trying to convince myself that it did. Did you ever read the book Skinny Bitch by chance? Oh my gosh. Yes. And it's the worst thing (laughs) ever. I'm awful. It is so, I found it again recently. and was like, I can't believe that I was like, fully on board with this. This is awful. Yeah. Oh my God. Same. I just like went through all my books when we moved recently and I was like, this is bad. Like this is written all over it. Like how did I think that this was a cool book back then? Like it's, oh my gosh, same. And for those of you who haven't heard of it is skinny bitch is a book that was probably like what 2008 type era, right? Around then maybe. I read it in high school, I think. I graduated in 2008, but 
it's about veganism and it's a diet book to get skinny basically, but it's about being vegan. And I just remember that breakfast was supposed to be two pieces of fruit and that's it. You're done. Doesn't matter if you're hungry anymore. It was just like the most extreme version. It was like skinny bitches don't eat anything other than two pieces of fruit for breakfast, you know? And it was like really harsh and just not good. So anyways, I had to ask about that when you said veganism, because I agree it can be used with good intentions, but at the same time, it can be really skewed. And I know when I was a vegan, it was also not under good intentions. Sorry yeah. to interrupt you. <laughs> you know, it's fine. It's like I said, there's nothing wrong with being vegan. I think it's great. Like mm -hmm. I did it for a lot of reasons. I think the biggest thing is that having a, a background in nutrition, I almost know too much about the science behind it. I was hyper-focusing on it and I was like, every little study that would come out, I'm like, oh, this says that I need to, you know, limit my intake of meat because of X, Y, and Z and all these other things. So I was almost like scared of it and I didn't have balance because I was letting it take over my, my mind too much. Mm. And I was even like plant-based or you're pushing plant-based for a lot of my clients for a while. And I just didn't see the overall picture, right? The bigger picture is that any type of restriction is going to lead to you feeling out of control around food at some point, right? And that's what leads to the binging. And it's just because you're not allowing your body to get the nutrients that it needs. So it's going to go into starvation mode. And when it's in starvation mode, you're going to crave more carbohydrates, right? Your metabolism is going to slow down. It's going to take you less food to burn the same amount of calories. So every single time you diet, every single time you start a new thing and then you you might lose weight in the beginning, but then you're going to gain it all back again, right? So all the research shows that two thirds of people who actually go on a diet to lose weight actually gain more weight back at the end of it. And so dieting is now the biggest predictor of weight gain. If you look at all the studies, it's insane. And it's terrible because there's so many doctors and people in healthcare that are still prescribing weight loss to people as a way to improve their health when actually weight has nothing to do with health, right? BMI is a crock of shit. Excuse me. Crock of shit. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. It is a crock of shit. I love it. <laughs> BMI means nothing. And it's crazy because I basically was led to believe that it was the mecca of health was to like be in that healthy BMI range. And all the studies that show like for people who are considered to be overweight or obese, they've taken all of their like metabolic labs and things like that. So like they've checked their um, insulin resistance and their risk for cardiovascular disease and inflammation and high blood pressure and all that stuff. And it doesn't have any correlation with BMI, but a lot of the studies don't actually factor that in appropriately, like basically the way that they're doing the research studies make it look like it's BMI, but it's actually not. It's more like lifestyle changes and, and how you eat and dieting. Yeah. It's just a bunch of bullshit pretty much with the BMI thing. <laughs> and yeah. it, it's gotten a lot worse since like the whole obesity epidemic in the U S like there's so many doctors now that are like, Oh, you just need to lose weight. You just need to lose weight. When actually that's not the issue. Like you can't prescribe weight loss for somebody and just expect their life to change. It doesn't happen. It actually makes it worse. Yeah, really. It's just the ingrained 
fat phobia in our society, right? It's like, if we're all going to be real about this, I feel like the terminology has been changed for a lot of people where they're no longer, they're saying, well, I'm just doing this for my health. I'm just doing this because I want to feel healthy. And it's like, but the thing is, we're all equating health with skinny. And that's like what a lot of people want is just that. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's like, we've been taught that this is like, what's attractive. This is what's acceptable. This is what's good. And it's like a lot of doctors, I think, even with this science debunking BMI and its correlation with health. And even with like understanding that people that have higher BMIs are just as healthy, if not more healthy than other individuals. I feel like a lot of people are just holding on to it for dear life. Right. And, and kind of gripping onto it's like, this is what we've always believed and we're not going to change it. And I really commend you just thought that that was a really awesome thing, how you said that you used to prescribe like a plant-based diet to people, but now you see things a little bit differently. And I feel like the ability to be able to understand like, okay, I used to teach this one thing, or I used to believe this one thing, but now I've learned something new. And because I've learned this new thing, it's not hypocritical to learn new information and change your mind about things, right? I feel like ADHDs are really good at that. You know, I feel like we're a little bit less like married to our ideas. And I really love that because I think that's the most ethical way to practice, right? In this space. Yeah, I completely agree with everything you're saying. And the thing too is, yeah, after dieting and deciding to stop dieting for me, I did gain weight. And it's like, it is a scary thing to be like, okay, I just have to be accepting of gaining weight. And I think that that's, something that does scare a lot of people away from intuitive eating. You know, I know for a long time I was afraid to try it because I didn't want to gain weight and I, you kind of have to release control. It's like, well, you could lose weight. You could gain weight. You could stay the same weight. You don't really know. Right. And so what are your thoughts on that for people who that might be kind of stuck in their mind, right? Saying, okay, yeah, I like the idea of this intuitive eating, but uh, I don't know about that. I don't know if I really want to just release control of my weight. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that is a huge one for people. And I think that's, it is really scary because even now I get people who are like, oh, I want to do your program, but like, can I still lose weight? That's the first question that I always get. And it's like, well, let's unpack that a little bit. Why do you want to lose weight? What are you trying to achieve? And a lot of the time it's because they are not happy with themselves. They're not happy with their bodies. And they think that losing weight is going to be the answer to happiness. And it's really not because I've helped so many people in the past before I did intuitive eating, lose weight and get to their goal weight. And they got there and they're still not happy. And it's temporary because you're probably going to gain more weight back by doing that. Not everyone, but it's, definitely a probability, you know, that that's going to happen. So what I would say is like, let go of the idea that you can lose weight on it and focus more on your mental health and the importance of that. Because you're right, like, we don't know what's going to happen with intuitive eating. We don't know if you are going to lose weight, maintain weight or gain weight. It really depends on your body's set point. So I'm not sure if that's something that you've talked about before mm -hmm. on here, but your set point weight is like the weight at which your body is metabolically stable. So if you're eating in a way that feels good mentally and physically and emotionally, 
um, and you're moving in ways that feel good and you're eating because you're honoring your hunger and your satisfaction and you're not restricting food because you feel like you should, your body is going to tell you when hungry, when it's full. That is basically going to get your weight to where it needs to be. For some people, if they've been restricting for a really long time in the pursuit of weight loss, that might mean that they might gain a little bit. If it's, you know, somebody who's been binging for a long time, for a lot of people with ADHD, we have a lot of binging issues. That might mean that you actually lose weight because you've been overeating all this time because you haven't been eating consistently. So you binge at night, for example. If you're eating in a way that's consistent, you're no longer feeling the need to binge or you maybe you feel more in control around food and doing less emotional eating, then yeah, maybe your body might get to a place where you lose the weight. But that cannot be your main focus. If that's your main focus, you're always going to eat for external reasons and you're going to ignore those internal cues that we really, really need to work on. And so that's like one of the things that I work on people with the most is just listening to your body, checking in with yourself. And one of the biggest things with ADHD is distraction. Like how many times have you been time blind and (laughs) just like forgotten to eat something or like, you know, because we have different days, right? Like one day it might be, oh my gosh, I'm so bored. I'm eating all day. Or the next day might be, oh my God, I'm so busy. I was like out shopping all day and I forgot to eat and now I'm home and I'm ravenous and I could like eat anything that's in the fridge, right? When we have those days, we're more likely to binge because we just haven't eaten. And it's not necessarily a binge. It could just be your body's physiological response to hunger, right? So we need to unpack all of these things, all of these reasons why we're eating. And that's what intuitive eating does. It's going to get to the root of it rather than just like, throwing this like quick fix diet at it to make a change. So you have to be willing to let go of fixing yourself, right? You need to just allow yourself to be and and be accepted and focus on self-care really is the biggest thing. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. So much of that was so profound and so true. Like you said, kind of knowing your why behind why is it exactly that you want to lose weight? What do you think you're going to be? What do you think you're going to feel? What do you think you're going to experience once you get there? And realizing that you can feel, be, and experience those things at any weight, right? And yeah, because I think personally, I had to get to a breaking point. (laughs) And I do think this happens too. Like we have to get to a breaking point where like, I can't restrict. I can't even, I just remember after my wedding, I was like, I can't even fathom the thought of restricting or disciplining for one more second. Like I can't do it. I'm so exhausted. I just want to let myself be, you know, I just want to let myself be for a while. Yeah. So many interesting points you made there too. It's really understanding the why rather than slapping a bandaid on a bullet wound, right? Yeah. The next diet a lot of times is ignoring that root underneath of why we want to diet and all these reasons why we eat as ADHDers. So you said, you know, eating for stimulation, maybe we forget to eat and then we end up eating what we think is way too much later because it feels like more than normal, but it's because our body's trying to compensate, right? eating for stimulation, all these different things. There's a lot to unpack. And I feel like you're really good at kind of succinctly explaining it all. So 
So for people who are kind of interested in this and they want like a baby step to get started, how could somebody kind of ease into this or take a baby step into intuitive eating? That's a good question. I think it depends on the person because it depends on where you are in your journey. It depends on your history of dieting and it depends on sort of your like current mental state and your readiness to change as well. So like if you are really tired of dieting and like this is all resonating with you and you like genuinely are just like, I need, just like we did, like you have that breaking point and you're like, I need, something needs to change. Is just to start by bringing awareness to yourself, thinking about your thoughts, like approaching everything that you do from a place of curiosity versus judgment. And that's one of the main things that they talk about in the intuitive eating book, which is like the most amazing book I think that you can ever read in terms of, you know, diet culture and all that, just bringing awareness to yourself and eating consistently would be the main thing. So I know that that is like a huge ask for people with ADHD to eat consistently because there's all the executive dysfunction with like, we hate cooking and all these other things that are very difficult for us. But I would say to just start by checking in with yourself every three to four hours. If you need to set an alarm, set a timer, um, a reminder, like a visual cue, like a post-it note, something just to remind yourself to check in and just say, how am I feeling right now? What do I need? Have I eaten? Have I had anything to drink? Have I taken care of myself today? And it really will bring so much awareness around your eating habits and why you're eating. Because if you notice like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like I just ate 10 minutes ago. Actually, it was like five hours ago. I just did it like a, an Instagram reel on that. But it, it's so true because we just lose track of time. It feels like five minutes. It's been five hours. You haven't eaten. No wonder why you're feeling so irritable and stressed and you're getting emotional. And now you're feeling like you need to eat sugar and you're feeling like you're going to binge on something. So just bring awareness to why you're eating and do it in a way that's like consistent. If you can, the consistency will come with it over time as you practice starting is what you need to do. Just start. <laughs> and that's a great, like really achievable starting point. Cause I think part of the interceptive awareness, and I don't know if this is true, but to me, it makes sense that we are not fully aware of what's going on in our bodies a lot because our brains are always going all over the place. Like I used to always say, people will call me birdie or like my husband will jokingly call me birdie sometimes or like head in the clouds or like flighty we're just always up here. There's so much going on up here that we forget to pay attention to our physical body or just to build that awareness. And I always say that that's the first step for me, at least for any change in my life. I can't dive into the change. I have to build like an awareness around it first. So just starting to notice, I really, really love that. And also completely agree, consistent eating Honestly, for me, consistent eating solved a lot of the problems in itself because when I was being fueled enough, like you said, you're not obsessing over food. Like when you're eating enough calories for your body, a lot of those problems kind of solve themselves. It's interesting because it's complex, but at the same time, it's also very simple. Some things like small changes can have really big impacts, right? Those are awesome, like very easy and achievable steps to kind of get started. 
So one more thing I did kind of want to ask you about too is you're pregnant and it's your first pregnancy. So how has that changed things for you in terms of intuitive eating or your relationship with food or body? That's like a huge change. So has that changed anything for you or been like, have you had any kind of different experiences? Yeah. So pregnancy have been very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It was definitely hard in the beginning because I was really, really nauseous. And it's like, you don't have a choice, but to check in with yourself because your body is giving you all sorts of signals. Like if you don't eat now, you're probably going to puke. I really, really had to be in tune with my body during, like, especially in the beginning. You also have this like feeling of you're responsible for another life, right? You're responsible for another human. And so that in itself sort of spikes the dopamine a little bit because it's important to you. Now, like, don't get me wrong. There were days when I was like very, very sick. And one of the things I was struggling with was, oh my gosh, I'm not getting enough nutrients for my baby. Like, is this okay? Is she going to be healthy? And that sort of, I could see the hyper-focus on nutrition coming back a little bit. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to pull back on this because this isn't helpful. I'm going to make sure that I'm just listening to my body and I'm taking my prenatals and I'm like doing what I need to do. Because if at that moment, like forcing food, forcing myself to eat something healthy would have genuinely made me sick. Mm -hmm. So I was like, no, like I'm okay with eating cold cereal and bread every day for two months straight. Like that's fine. That that's all I can handle right now. And I'm going to give myself permission to do it without feeling guilt. And it was really hard. And I think before I had done intuitive eating, if I was in that same situation, I probably would have beat myself up so much for it because I would have been like, Oh my gosh, you're a terrible mom. Like your baby's going to be so unhealthy. And just all these things that we say to ourselves that were I was going through my head and I realized like, you know what, just do what makes you feel good, do what you need to do. And that was a huge part of it. The other part of being pregnant with ADHD is not really being able to drink caffeine. Oh, You can have a little bit, like you can technically have like one cup of coffee a day and you're fine. But I just decided not to have any caffeine. That was my decision. But also you don't take any meds. And I wasn't on meds before, but I had recently been diagnosed like a year before. So I was like hoping to try to take that I could see what actually works for my brain. So that's like put on hold. And then the other thing is like baby brain. It's a real thing. Like you genuinely forget things. I was wondering that it's probably like ADHD on steroids, right? Like, (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty bad. And it's so funny because like my friends who don't have ADHD who are pregnant, like, oh yeah, like baby brain. And I, I would just forget things and I'd forget where I put my keys and like all this (laughs) like, great. So you know what it's like to have ADHD now. (laughs) Right. So remember your baby brain. So imagine being like that all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's been tough, but it's strangely enough, like it's actually calmed me down a lot. I think because of the hormones, like I've been forced to relax. Mm. Like my body's been forced to sit down and listen more than I ever have in my whole life. And I know that's a combination of like 
the pandemic and just being in the house a lot, but it's made me also just appreciate my body a lot more as well because I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I can build a human. This is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it, it is so cool. Like if we take a moment to think about it, it's like, that's really freaking cool. <laughs> and I just remind myself of that every time I look in the mirror and I'm like, Oh my gosh, my body's changing so much because you do gain weight, you know, your appetite does increase and you're seeing your body change. It, it makes you wonder like, what am I going to look like after the baby? And it just reminds you of just how powerful it is to be able to have a child. And like, I feel, I don't want to say, I don't want to like rub that in for anyone who's listening who like can't have kids because I was afraid of that because I'm like 90% sure that I have endometriosis. So I was like really scared that I wasn't going to be able to have kids. So the fact that I can, I'm just so grateful for it. And that alone is like, you know what, who cares about what your body looks like? This is like so important to just cherish the moment that you have to be pregnant. So it's been really helpful, I think, in that intuitive eating journey. Mm, that's so cool and very interesting. And as you were talking, it kind of made me feel like, you know, your journey with intuitive eating really did help you kind of step into, like if you hadn't been introduced to intuitive eating and practicing this, that transition probably would have been a lot harder, you know, and listening to your body instead of forcing down something that was quote unquote good for the baby, right? It's like, well, it might be good for the baby overall, but not in this moment, you know? And this is such a weird comparison, but it made me think of like times that I've been hungover and I'm like, I've got to chug all this water and I've got to take my vitamins and I've got to eat a salad and, you know, fuel my body. But my body was not asking for any of that. That was just my brain saying, this is what I should do. And I listened to that and like, I would end up getting sick, you know? And it's like, again, very weird comparison, but it did make me think of that. It's like tuning more into your body and listening from that place and being more calm and having that self-compassion and just the curiosity versus judgment is like wraps it all up in a pretty little bow. Truth be told, I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours because this is the stuff that we both love talking about so much and you have so much information to share. So just to kind of start wrapping it up, one more thing I wanted to chat about before we start wrapping it up is just like a common myth when it comes to intuitive eating is I do also feel like, especially we were talking about people are afraid to gain weight with intuitive eating and whatnot. A lot of people do think that that just means eating whatever you want, whenever you want, and just kind of going ham basically, and just only eating French fries and ice cream. So for people who feel like that's kind of what intuitive eating is, what would you say? Is that what intuitive eating is all about? Just ice cream and French fries? <laughs> I guess no. <laughs> yeah. um, I love both of those things very much. And you can definitely eat them if you want to, but no, <laughs> it's not all about that, which is, it's a shame because I think diet culture has kind of like claimed intuitive eating now, unfortunately. So they're like, they've made it a thing. Like if you look up the hashtag intuitive eating on Instagram, it's like cookies and fries and, you know, just like all of this food that's like really rich. And it just totally takes away from the whole concept of it, that it's really just like that mind body approach. Like, sure, you can eat whatever you want, but 
if you eat those things every single day, you're not going to feel good. And then if you don't feel good, then you need to make a change, right? So that doesn't mean that you need to go back to food rules, but maybe it means that you can have some fries, but also have, you know, a salad with it or something that you really enjoy. And the difference is like, there's an element of gentle nutrition, which they talk about in the book. And gentle nutrition is really, you're still honoring your health in the way of adding in extra nutrients and extra you know, making sure that you're getting balanced, like carbs and proteins and fats and all of your quote unquote macros and things like that so that you can stay healthy and, and stay full. But it's really about satisfaction. So what's going to make you satisfied with your meal? If you're craving a burger and you eat a veggie burger instead, chances are it's probably not going to hit the spot for you and you're doing it just because you feel like you should not because you want to and i think that's the biggest misconception is like you can eat all the burgers and fries you want and it's fine and i mean you can like gain all this weight and just be okay with it like that does happen to people because they don't actually get the concept of it like maybe they'll read the book on their own but they'll stop there and they just think it's like an excuse to eat whatever they want And it's really not that it's why are you eating these things? So in the beginning, if you've been somebody who's been restricting for a really long time and you haven't given yourself permission to eat these foods, you probably are going to binge on these things. That's Mm -hmm. probably going to happen, but you know what? It's not going to be like that forever. You know, you're probably going to realize pretty quickly that I can't eat these things every single day. I'm not going to feel well. But what you're doing is you're habituating them. So you're making them a normal part of your life rather than making them this like off limits type of food where you're like, oh, I can't have cake. Every time I'm around cake, I eat too much of it. I can't keep it in the house. I need to like, you know, make sure it doesn't come in here. And if I do, I'm just going to like eat like the whole thing. And I can't do that. What you're doing is you're just like telling your body that you're not, safe around that food. And you're probably are going to binge every time you see it. But if you have cake in the house all the time and you let yourself eat it whenever you want, you're not going to eat it every single day, right? You probably won't because you're, it's just like, nah, it's just cake. I can have it whenever I want. Right. So there's no moral value attached to food. And you don't feel like you have to just keep eating it and eating it because you know, you can have it tomorrow. You can Mm -hmm. listen to those body cues more when you know that you can have it tomorrow. You're like, I don't have to keep eating way past fullness. Yeah. Yeah. I always use this analogy, like, and obviously I know that there's probably men listening or there's like people who are non-binary, binary, whatever. There's all all different people listening. But I always use this analogy of like, like imagine as like a girl and you like really, really into this guy he wants nothing to do with you. And you just like, keep trying to get his attention, keep trying to get his attention. And you just want him so badly. And then when you finally can get him and he likes you back, you might realize like, you know what? He's not even that cool. Yes. (laughs) And I can have him now. So he's not really that exciting anymore. Right. It's just like the novelty wears off eventually. And the same thing has to happen with food. So you can be around your trigger foods and they just sort of become less exciting over time. And that's what we want. We want that to happen. But in order for you to get to that place, you do have to give yourself 
permission to eat them. And that's where like, I think coaching and intuitive eating coaching and these like classes and courses and all that stuff really can help because you do need that extra support when you're going through that change. Yeah. That's such an important point to make that a lot of people might try intuitive eating and I look at it as I love that analogy of the guy and it's like, he gets less exciting. It's so true. We want what we can't have, but like, I look at it like a pendulum. It's like, if you are coming from the end of extreme dieting and restriction, you are going to swing to the other extreme for a little bit. Right. And like you said, you might binge on these foods or be really obsessive, or you might just want to eat ice cream and French fries and all these things that you haven't allowed yourself to have for a little while but it won't last forever. It doesn't last forever. And that is like proven time and time again, because your body, eventually it will start craving those things in the middle again, right? You'll kind of find a place in the middle after a little while and you'll be able to recognize, you know, when do I really want the cake? You'll start craving things that you never thought you would crave, right? It's a very interesting experience. And it's like, I have such a hard time putting it into words. And I think you're very good at that, putting it, the experience into words. And I know that everybody who's listening probably wants to know how they can work with you and where they can follow you and learn more from you. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I know you have been working on a course, which I'm sure is going to be incredible. So tell us about that and where we can find you on social media or wherever else. Thank you. So I've had a one-on-one coaching program, a 12-week program for the last two years now. So I basically take you through like a nine step system, but in the one-on-one program, it's so individualized that it's basically just depends on the person and what they really need. But I decided that I wanted to create a course that takes people through all of those steps that I take my one-on-one clients through in a way that is helpful for everyone. So there's a little bit of everything in there for everyone. And it's really just about like I said before, you know, creating the awareness around why you're eating. Um, We talk about things like um, emotional eating and self-care and self-love and coping and all of these different things that we need um, to manage our ADHD and to eat well. And so that's what the course encompasses. It's it's a 10-week program and it's basically going to be a self-paced video modules where you can watch the video each week at your own time and then I'll give you workbook with it. I give you tons and tons of resources, just like everything that you need basically without me there to coach you one-on-one, but we also will have a private Facebook community as well, where you'll have a lot of support and I'll be doing Q and A's as well each month to answer any questions that people have. That sounds amazing. And put the link for that in the show notes. So anybody who's interested can check that out. Where can we find you on Instagram or anything else like that? You can find the course at eatingwithadhd.com. And then I'm also eating with ADHD on Instagram. And I just started recently on TikTok as well, which is a rabbit hole, which we right. <laughs> Let's just say I shouldn't be on there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> It's great. (laughs) So yeah, so Instagram, TikTok, Instagram is usually where I spend most of my time. But yeah, so it's just eatingwithadhd.com is where you can find most of my information. 
Awesome. And we barely scratched the surface. Honestly, there were so many more things I wanted to go deep into. So anybody who's listening that wants to just go deeper on these topics and learn more from Nicole, you can find her there. And just thank you so much for being here and sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. I really appreciate it. It was so much fun connecting with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.